This week on The Big Show, the business of film is booming, and that's not necessarily good. Digital restorations and disqualifications in the Oscar race have come under fire. Charles Kirkland and I will discuss these issues. Plus, the November D.C. Filmmaker of the Month, Hillary Linder, will join us to talk about her latest film. In addition, we'll have movie news and reviews of the latest films, including Honey Boy, Last Christmas, and Midway, all on the latest episode of Keeping It Real with Film Gordon. Let's go. Film Gordon here at DC Radio 96.3 HD4. And if you're listening at home, that's dcradio.gov. I am Tim Gordon and I am joined by Charles Kirkland. Charles, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Hey, man. Thank you for that kind of Ed McManish greeting. That was great. Uh, coming up a little later on in the show, as you heard me say in the opening, we'll look at three films this week. Honey Boy, Last Christmas, and Midway. I had to say and because it's Midway and it's Roland Emmerich. You want to listen. <laughs> I have a definite opinion on that as well. Well, you should. I mean, that's yes. what it's all about. Yes, yes. And also coming up, uh, the DC Filmmaker of the Month for the month of November is Hillary Linder. Charles Kirkland sat down with her, and uh, we're going to listen to that interview. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Charles Kirkland, this, this brother, man, is stepping the game up. So Hillary Linder is uh, I think you interviewed like the last two filmmakers of the month. I now. did. Yes. This is becoming your new thing. Huh? Hey, it's my contribution to the show. Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate that, man. <laughs> <laughs> and the audience, audience at home up there, there, I'm sure they're going. Thanks, Charles. We just can't hear him. But anyway, anyway, coming up this week, we are going to talk about two issues that I think generated a lot of press this week. Uh, The the Academy's decision to disqualify Nigeria in its film. um, God, I have to look it up, but I I actually, oh, it's called Lionheart. I saw Lionheart. and, and we'll talk about that because uh, it doesn't have enough of its native language. And there's a reason mm. they said that it doesn't. So that's interesting because this is going to affect uh, how they move forward with Nigeria. Because if you're having this issue this year, you're going to have this issue moving Forever. forward every year. Uh-huh. All right. So that's coming up. And then the really hot button story that we talked a little bit about uh, is James Dean who many many in the audience, if you're old enough, know that Mr. Dean uh, died tragically at the age of 24 years old back in 1955. Well, the reason why James Dean is in the news is that he has been cast in a new movie in a secondary role. What? And and people are not happy. Didn't you Uh, just say the man was dead? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> we are not laughing at, at at death. I'm just saying that there's a that yeah. This is a, this is a, this is an issue, and okay. and I and, and it's called you know sometimes there are situations that I deem that are slippery slopes. Mm. This is a slippery slope. So we'll talk about that uh, coming up a little later on. Uh, Wilson Morales, who normally would join us for uh, entertainment at the Zabobot show, is off on assignment this week. We're in the middle of award season heavy, so there are lots of interviews that are being done and lots of film screenings that are being done ahead of, believe it or not, one month from now. We are literally four weeks away from the Golden Globe announcements of their nominations. Mm. Four, let me say that again. Four wow. weeks away. It's that close. Oh, yeah. Okay. We're getting there. So okay. um, we'll talk a little bit. So Charles and I are going to cover entertainment this week. Yeah. Um, so but before we get to any of that stuff, um, I just want to announce that uh, coming up in two weeks, um, we talked to our super producer last week, the Sugar Shane Lewis. Man, I need you to put some excitement in your voice. You, you're just coming in too cold on this. I'm coming in cold, man, because, um, you, wow, it's been 10 years. We're having our 10th anniversary uh, show that's going to be a two-hour extravaganza. Now, <laughs> watch this. What, what are you going to hear in two hours? Well, let's see. I think we've done over 400 shows in 10 years. I want to play some excerpts and some clips from some of these shows. There are going to be some people that stop by. Hmm. Um, there might even be there might even be some celebrity sightings. Maybe. I'm just saying. I mean, you know, we've done some stuff the last 10 years. Now, I know we have been here on the mighty DC radio for about a year, maybe a year and a half, almost. No, it's actually been close to two years because in February it'll be two years. Right, right. But yeah, man, we've we've um, we've we've had some things that have happened on this show, some some news that has broken. You know, there have been people on this show. I mean, I, I can just name some people. I'm not making this up. I mean, you can go and check the archives. Oprah Winfrey's been on the show. Denzel Washington has been on the show. Tyler Perry's been on this show twice. I mean, there's been a number of people that have been on the show. So, did you get did you, Halle Berry? That's a really good question. I'd have to check through the archives. Um, no, and, and the reason why I'm saying that I'm not I'm just, being funny, we've done over 400 shows, man. I, I, there's there are interviews, honestly, that I've done with people that I've forgotten I've done, man. Like I know for an example, there are two interviews that jump off the top of my head that literally got lost that I, that never aired. Actually, a th- no. There's three. We interviewed Ruthie Carter yeah. for Black Panther, and that was right around the time when we started doing this show here at DC Radio. I don't, I don't think that ever aired, did nope. it? Um, I know I interviewed Chadwick Boseman, and I want to say it was for Get On Up. And as soon as I walked out the room, I lost that interview. The other interview I lost is I had, I was the first interview for Octavia Spencer. Sat in a suite with her, mm. and we laughed and, and played around for like 15 minutes. Walked out, nothing. <laughs> so I'm just saying. So, so, so you were over just the kicking years, it with her. Over the years, <laughs> it's funny. It's funny we're talking about this. I remember one of my, like, back in the day, um, and this is before Keeping It Real came along, I was at BET. I was the um, entertainment editor over at BET. And I remember there were two interviews that are very memorable. One was with a very young Regina King. And I'm trying to remember what film it was for, but I interviewed Regina King, and all that intensity did you see with Regina King and when she acts? 
it's the exact same intensity that you get in the interview. Yeah. And I remember there was <laughs> there was a segment of the interview because I had a cameraman from BET with me that our eyes kind of locked and we kind of looked at each other and I was thinking something, but it came out and I <laughs> I was like, you could be Mrs. Gordon. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that. <laughs> Watch this. That's a true story. And I remember interviewing. Wow. And I remember one time I interviewed <laughs> Regina Hall, and this was long before Regina Hall became a leading lady when she was doing a lot of, like, best friend and mm-hmm. sidekick. So that was in a memorable interview. But I, those are the sorts of stories that I want to talk about on the 10th anniversary because this this whole arc of doing this for a long period of time, you do a lot of stuff, you have a lot of emotions. I remember being really mad when Django Unchained came out, and I should actually play that interview because I was livid. I was not, not just not a fan of that movie. I was just, I just thought it was to to change around, kind of. And to this day, I still think you were doing a Nat Turner story, but you did it in a way with revisionist history. And so I don't know. I, that, what, watch this. Not one of my finer moments. I will say that much. So yes. Yeah, so we have that. So. That's coming up in two weeks, the 10th anniversary show. Charles, was that enough? You know, you said I came in kind of cold. Yeah, I was trying to you did, add context you did around it. You did, you did your thing. All right, man. So we got a couple of, we got about five minutes um, in this segment and standing in for Wilson. So I just want to talk about some of the hot stuff that's coming up. Um, I've been watching a lot of television. Um, I saw the season finale of Greenleaf. Mm. I'm not sure anybody been watching Greenleaf. Now, you heard me say several weeks ago, that the writers of Greenleaf have jumped the shark. They have jumped the shark as a term that came about in the, in the late 70s happy on days. Happy Days when they had <laughs> Arthur Fonzarelli uh, on jet skis jump over a shark. And it was, it was the moment that the show just sort of went downhill, so it became a part of the lexicon that when the show jumps the shark... It is not going, that is not a complimentary <laughs> statement. So the fact on Greenleaf this year that the writers kind of painted all the ladies with this kind of brush where it didn't come across well, it has lost all the essence of what the show was really about was this this family who operated this mega church in Memphis. And now it has gone, at least in my opinion, to being so soap opera-ish that it's almost unwatchable. Mm. So the season finale, um, they in the very last scene, they introduce a character, a mystery character that nobody knows. And I guess if the show is back next year, I guess they will explain to us who this character is as the whole church is just disintegrating beneath this family. Mm. Um, uh, it along with, I'm trying to think there's a second show that I watch and I, I talk to friends a, a, a lot about, uh, Black Lightning is the other one. Oh, and I just oh, yeah, think yeah, they... <laughs> that these shows both, I don't know what has happened, man. And 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 I'm bringing this up. Charles, you're a Black Real Award voter. Shane, you've heard that we do the Black Real Awards. These, uh, both these shows have been nominated for Outstanding Drama, which is, a, which is a high honor. Matter of fact, Black Lightning won, won Outstanding Drama year. last year. Not 2019, but in 2018 it won, right? right? So This Is Us won both year one and year three. Um, there are two shows that I watched that I think are amazingly done, and those I've talked about are Queen Sugar, Queen Sugar. Mm-hmm. and uh, This Is Us. Uh, both these shows, the integrity is maintained. 
despite the fact that, especially in Queen Sugar's case, they have different writers every week and different directors for every episode, and the integrity of the show always stays the same. This is us, Kaya Jorgen. Um, I forget the, uh, the, the founder's name uh, of the show, who's the executive producer. But they do such an amazing job with this show. And the, the, the fact that time is kind of fluid in this show, characters can die, they come back because <laughs> it's all about time and about right. perspective of time, which I think is just a genius idea. So I hold up This Is Us and Queen Sugar as I denigrate <laughs> Green, Green Leaf and uh, Black Lightning shows that I just think are just kind of like a reed in the wind. They just kind of blow every which way, and there's no kind of integrity there. So um, having said that, man, I, you know, I, there's some other shows. You know, uh, Power had its uh, mid-season finale uh, where they literally, literally went 40 years back and just stole who shot JR? Literally stole it. <laughs> I was watching the episode. I went, the fact, the fact that six characters walk into a bar after hours to gun somebody down, and I guess they didn't bump into each other along the way. They, oh, you here to kill them too? Oh, what's up? Right. It was the most ridiculous ending. I was sitting at home. I could not be more disappointed in power. Could not, especially when the whole episode uh, you have one character in Ghost who Ghost. walks around everybody going, you can't stop me. Word. <laughs> you can't Famous stop last me. words. You always can't stop time. me. Always. To everybody. Until so somebody goes, well, I guess we're going to try to stop you. All six of us who show up. Was it six or seven? It was six. Yeah, six. Six people show up. Six people show up at a nightclub after hours. One person. Sh- sh- and then and then the way they had him falling after he got shot. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, as 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 uh, Lawrence Taylor once said, after he sacked a quarterback for one of a, one of the 143 times, son, you got to do better than this. <laughs> it's just Look, not good. The bro. line of people to kill ghosts was longer than Popeye's chicken sandwich line. That's how that's how many people were there. It's too soon. It's too soon. It's too soon, man. Oh, too soon, my man. Bad. All right, man. We're going to take a break right now. <laughs> we're going to come back on the other side, man. And we're going to talk about the casting of an iconic actor and how this decision re- reverberates throughout the industry. And when I say reverberates, we'll talk about it more in the next segment. You guys are listening to The Big Show, keeping it real with Film Gordon. And we'll be right back. It's me, Al Grande, or call me Papi Chulito. Yo, tango mucho loving for you mommies if you legal. For honeys, nothing equal to the way I tap that spot. Get your cat hot. Guess what? You hit the jackpot. Candlelight dinners for you winners. <laughs> See, I'm like Don Juan. Beat me, sweetie. I get in ya. Sugar, I'ma put you in a beautiful mood. Forget about that name. He ain't a suitable dude. Word up. I'm the one you like to talk to. You'll find my conversation so enlightening that you spark. Oh yeah, man, I keep so I can hold you tight, mold you right. Listen, girl, I got more game than Dolomite. It's only right, baby, that we blend together. You'll be wanting me to be your friend forever. And ain't it clever, boo, how I got you sprung? So when I holler, y'all, you know you got to come. Dame little mommy, man, I keep. I'm sorry, that's as far as my Spanish goes. Several words like I see 
All right, and welcome back to the show. Man, what you guys are listening to between breaks is Gangstar. It's a new album from Gangstar. This is actually really good because this goes right into what we're talking about. But Gangstar uh, is a combination of, of, uh, of a rapper named Guru who passed away 10 years ago. And his DJ and beat maker, DJ Premier, just put out a new album last week. We're going to be featuring music, of course, all throughout the show, uh, which actually is interesting that our next topic will go right into this. But before we get to our next topic, remember coming up a little later on in the show, we have reviews of three movies in theaters this week, so you don't want to miss that. But as I was just saying, as it related, Charles, to... Uh, guru, you know, in music all the time, we've seen Natalie Cole resurrect her father's vocals for a duet in Unforgettable. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've seen, you know, uh, Death Row had a concert years ago where they had a Tupac hologram. So those things, I think, in a limited basis are acceptable. You know, it's cool. It's an homage when people hear, like, you know, for fans such as myself, I remember one of the songs we're going to feature a little later on is called Family and Loyalty. And I remember when the first time I heard that, it almost put a tear in my eye because I was like, man, they brought this guy back, from, you know, back from beyond for, for an album. So I thought it was mad cool. And I think it works in music. Where it doesn't work is in movies, right? This week... They announced, company announced that they're making a new film that's going to be released in 2020 called Finding Jack. No big news. You know, movies are released. You know, we get movie news and casting news all the time. Except when you want to cast an actor that's been dead for 64 years. Mm. And in this case, they went and got permission from the estate of James Dean uh, to cast him in a secondary role as kind of a, a, a kind of a, a soldier in a, in a in a battle scene, and the out the you know the outcry in Hollywood was tremendous and it was immediate. You know, you casting a late actor for I'm, I, and, and despite let's throw out the role right. It doesn't matter what the role is. If he was a star of the movie, it's still a bad idea, right? Because if this is allowed to stand. What's to stop people from saying uh, John Wayne's going to star in our next movie or Woody Strode is coming back or Humphrey Bogart is or Edward G. Robinson? What if somebody had the idea? Think about this for a second. Uh, you know, they watched, the, the you know, later this month when The Irishman comes out. What if somebody says, what if we can computer, computer or digitally restore Humphrey Bogart, Edward G. Robinson, James Cagney, and make an all-star mob movie with with all these late actors. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think about the possibilities of how left this can go. This is not a good idea, <laughs> and it also speaks to the integrity of a business that would literally pimp out the images of late stars for financial gain in the present day. Charles, what do you got on this one, man? Well, I mean, you said that it's all right with music, and I and I think it's um, even limited there because if you're doing uh, maybe uh, taking a hook, somebody did something in the past, and you're putting it in a song, you can get away with that. But if you're creating new music with the voice of someone who's dead, which is what they're doing in this case, it doesn't work at all. 
And I don't see how you can, you're going to create a role with someone who's no longer here. If they were taking like footage from Giant and inserting it into the movie, right. I would say that could work. But if you're creating a whole role where this person is acting or whatever, that doesn't work. That's, no, no, that's, no. Okay. I no, mean, I, no, I would agree with you, but I was, I was going back to music. So in the case of Gangstar, right? Guru and Premier worked together for years, right? right? And of course, there were times they recorded stuff that, I don't know, it might have just sat around and he had it. So he tells a story with Gangstar that, you know, he found some tracks. Right. Uh, and basically, let me phrase it, he didn't find tracks, his tracks would be the music. He found some vocals, vocals. Yeah. that Guru had done that had been sitting around that had been previously unreleased. And what pre- DJ Premier does is he makes beats. Right. So he talked about the process that the family, after he had gotten cremated, that he had a portion of Guru's ashes. And he took the ashes and he had them available and he got some sage and he had a picture of the two of them. And he took the sage and kind of burned it around like three times. And he said he sat in the studio, tears in his eyes. Just making beats, listening to the to listening to to Guru's words, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. developing these tracks over these beats. Um, you know, Shane and I, you were talking about the ones, the songs that you like, right, on the album. Um, I told you when I heard "Family and Loyalty" the first time, it almost put a tear in my eye because it was so '90s when I heard. It. I was like, "Wow!" Um, the fact that he resurrected this guy to me, that's a different scenario than, as you said. Taking an actor and then imposing him into a role, to me, it's like when we watch movies like Gemini Man, right? Where they create digitally, digit, digitally recreate or create a character that sort of looks like Will Smith. Right, right. Or we talk about The Irishman and uh, in the review I did last week when we talked about the de aging process. You know, the technology will allow you, like, de aging. I understand that because I think that's something in a film that if you can take an actor and de-age him and, you know, put him in a film, if it's going to be an epic or a film that spans over time, that's acceptable. But I think it would not be proper. I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, trying to think of an actor like, oh, I was giving you an analogy off air that if I if if somebody made a movie and decided they wanted to have Lena Horne and Cab Calloway starring in a movie and, you know, you would digitally impose Lena Horne. That that would not be good, and I'm not just saying it because that's those are African American performers. I'm saying that's not good for no, anybody. It's not good for anyone. There are enough. There are enough people who are very much alive mm. that can use the work. Right. <laughs> very exactly. much alive. Exactly. And it, it, what I was trying to say is, it, okay, if you have found footage or found work that you, and then you use that, that's great. That's acceptable. Right. But if you take a computer and you generate, you can, I mean, cause you can generate sounds with people's voices and you can generate Say gurus' raps were all generated instead of right. found footage. It, right. it doesn't or work. Found, it's not found audio. Right. Found audio. So it doesn't work in that case for music or for a film where you're creating something. I mean, we got Roy Orbison and and Buddy Holly that are going to be in concert at the Strathmore in a in next in hologram. week in holograms. But they're playing a hologram of a concert that they did 
years ago. Again, acceptable. 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 But if they were all of a sudden, this is a brand new song by Buddy Holly and put him on stage, that's not acceptable. Now, we have another one of these situations that are happening next month uh, when, what is it, the the next Star Wars movie? What is it called? Rise of the Jedi? Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. Now, in this film, they have footage from Carrie Fisher that was shot prior to her death that like much like when we talk about the hip hop where you use some footage that or use audio that had been sitting around and you kind of wrap something around it. I don't know because I haven't seen the film yet and neither of you. I don't know how that footage is used, but Carrie Fisher is going to be in the in final the in the final episode of Star Wars, despite the fact that she died a, probably about a year or so ago. No, it's been two years. I it's mean, she she died before the last movie came out. Came out right, so it's been two years. So it's been two years. So yeah, so there was footage that was there, and they announced it, and I'm sure they talked to the family, and, you know, cleared everything. But so it's going to be that last film in that series, which comes out, is going to be very emotional, and part of that emotion is is again the nostalgic feeling of people. We're going to see Carrie Fisher one last time. Right. And, and, that, and that gets back to when we talk about this line, right? And we talk about what this means and why this can't be allowed to stand, right? Um, I would not like to see an actor that um, I revere in a role like this that is just made up for a film. That's like, I want to see Humphrey Bogart in a brand new Sam Spade movie in 2019 or 2020. It's just not a good look. I want to see Lena Horne on screen or Ruby D and Ozzy Davis. It's just not a good look to to go back. I think I think when you ever heard the phrase in our community, you're doing too much? Yeah. Y'all doing way too much right now, bro. It's crazy. It's crazy right now. So, yeah, so I think I think we're both in agreement that this is really a bad idea. I think a lot of people are in agreement that this is a bad idea and so much so I I mean we had minor celebrities <laughs> complaining about this. I mean, they, they probably looking for work because you're giving it to somebody who's not even alive. Look, so. look what you did to Shane and him, man. I don't know. Shane, Shane is just laughing. I'm not going to mention names. I'm not going to mention Charles, names. Charles is just Charles But there were some minor celebrities man. that came out saying that they, 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 <laughs> this like, can't happen. Like the minors are <laughs> the minors are getting involved, man. But yeah, man, I just think it's a it's a slippery slope, man. And I think sometimes with technology, man, sometimes. The technology is good, and then sometimes the technology is just like, come on, bro, it's just way stop too, it, man. Yeah. It's way too much, man. Um, but again, uh, you know, say no more than 20 years ago when Tupac Shakur died at a very young age that he had recorded enough music that they produced like seven, was it seven albums? I don't know. I think so. I mean, it was a bunch of albums. I mean, yeah, it was a bunch of albums, man, because they had, because so, Tupac, toward the end of his life, um, I just over. I, I was watching something on YouTube a couple of days ago, and Tretch, who was a good friend of his, talked about how Tupac Shakur was recording. Like most people would go in and record, like maybe you know ten or fifteen songs. They said this guy was recording like albums a day of of content. You think about somebody like Prince. Mm-hmm. Prince in his yeah, vault yeah. has music for I I don't know how much. I'm just guesstimating. He once went on Oprah and talked about he was able to write a song a day. Prince had music forever in that vault. So, I mean, if Prince came out with a new album right now, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if Prince came out a new album 
in 2019, in 2020, in 2021. <laughs> I'm just saying, man. Because all you got to do is find, like in the case with music, you can just find Somebody an engineer. Put the, put the words to music and, right. and run it. Or in, in the case of Prince, the words are already the music. You just need to engineer it, clean it up a little right. bit and get it out there. So it's a lot different. And the hip hop is even better because if you give me some lyrics or give me some audio, Somebody can build Somebody a can build a around, beat around it. Well, you just talked about DJ Premier doing this. DJ Primo just did it again, man. So, uh, Gangstar, we will be featuring that album. Uh, and what the song that almost made me cry is going to be up next. <laughs> family and loyalty. All right. Family and loyalty. Diamonds are like family. Oh, my God. Love that song. Uh, Shane, you got nothing on this, man? He's like... Go buy the album. Go buy the album. So that album and the only other album we've talked about is Rhapsody early this year. Um, Eve. <laughs> album of the year is going to be pretty good in hip-hop this year. It's going to really be good. Matter of fact, I listened to a song from Kanye's album, Jesus is King. All right. I wish you had. We had the cameras on in here, boy, because simultaneously, <laughs> both faces got screwed up with the quickness. Ooh, okay. I heard one last night when I was in the car, and I was like, Hmm, I'm not feeling inspired. I'm not feeling the spirit, Kanye. <laughs> I don't know if you want to feel that spirit Kanye's no, I'm just feeling. saying, man. I mean, Kanye, uh, Kanye is trying to be a part of the conversation, man. Now, I, I can't rock with this Kanye, but early Kanye, that was my guy, man. I think he's immensely talented. I think at some point, Kanye is the kind of artist that has the ability and has the talent that, like, if it comes back or he evolves back around, he's still a really good artist, man. He really is, man. So, uh, fingers crossed by Sugar Shane. <laughs> and with that, we are we're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back in the next segment. We're gonna talk a little bit about the funeral of John Witherspoon. Absolutely mm. amazing. And, when, and I don't know if amazing and funeral go together, but it was a, a wonderful tribute to a really, really funny man. So we'll have that and more on the other side. You guys are listening to Keeping It Real with Film Gordon, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is John David Washington, and you're listening to The Big Show. Keep it real with Film Gordon on Film Gordon Radio. Diamonds are forever like family and loyalty Or real rap songs like cream or my melody Diamonds are forever like my infinite thought Like respect in the hood that can't be bought Diamonds are forever like family and loyalty Or real rap songs like cream or my melody Diamonds are forever like my infinite thought Like respect in the hood that can't be bought Word up, diamonds, diamonds Diamonds are forever like friends that'll kill for you Went up in a jewelry store, burglary, steal for you Bill with you, split the diamond into ice blue Trice, you try to disrespect our kinship, I don't like you And now you axed out the fam But I'm cashing checks with Premier on this jam Robin Leach, interviews on the beats When we shake hands, nothing but ice on the region I teach, like the rap Reverend Ike Without the perm, I preach this morning, you need to learn how return for my streets, gaining my wealth. All right, and of course, that is from the latest album from Gangstar. It's called Family and Loyalty, featuring J. Cole. It's fire. Fire. Look at Shane. Fire. Just nodding his head. Charles, the only one that doesn't know. I haven't listened to it yet. Exactly. Welcome back to The Ride. <laughs> Coming up a little later on in the segment, we're going to listen to 
our good colleague Charles Kirkland interview this month's DC Filmmaker of the Month, Hillary Linder. So that's coming up. But before we get there, um, I just wanted to also touch this week that uh, Netflix Nollywood film Lionheart, which was the official submission for the uh, international, the newly crowned Best International Feature, which right. takes the place Instead of the foreign, foreign language. language, which is kind of, never mind, that's another story. It's kind of dumb. I think there's this thing called the Black Real Awards that has world cinema and foreign language for this very reason. One is for films made outside the country that are spoken in English versus films made outside the country that are spoken in their foreign language. Of course, the Oscars didn't get the memo that Nigeria, which has been colonized, its official <laughs> language is English. Right. But there's not enough, as they say, non-English dialogue that meets the quota and it has been disqualified. People like Ava DuVernay and others are up in arms because if this is going to be an issue this year and Nigeria continues to submit films with their Speaking now English, colonized yeah. language, which is English, I guess Nigeria will never have a film that will qualify for Oscar consideration in the, in the international film category. So so if is it non-English speaking because you got South Africa that speaks English? No, no. They, 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 what they want is there's a certain quota of what they think is the native tongue to be included in the film. And the filmmaker argues that the film uh, has English in it because it is primarily an English-speaking country now. So that's an issue. And so Lionheart, if you get an opportunity, is on Netflix. I saw this film months ago. Um, wow. Um, I had a chance this morning to look at some clips uh, from some of the speakers who were at the funeral of John Witherspoon, Ice Cube, uh, Cedric the Entertainer. Uh, Sean Wayne's amazingly funny uh, tributes for this artist. Uh, who knew that the godparents of uh, of uh, David Letterman's kids was John Witherspoon, or, or is it John? David Letterman is the is the godfather of John, John Witherspoon's, Witherspoon's kids, kids, and that toward the end of their life, the two of them, these guys that had known each other and started out on the comedy circuit in 1976 literally were close to his best friends as best friends can be. So, you know, I went back and looked at some interviews of, of Witherspoon on the, t on, uh, the show with, with Letterman and just very funny, man. So, wow. Rest in Didn't peace. Didn't I know that? Rest in power to that legend, man. Um, very, very funny man whose work will only elevate over time. So, with that being said, Charles, you got an opportunity uh, earlier this week to sit down with the DC Filmmaker of the Month, man. So how did that go? What is this? Interview? It was a delightful time, actually. We sat down with Hillary Linder, who is the DC Filmmaker of the Month. I had an opportunity to sit with her and talk about some of her projects. Our Filmmaker of the Month, and today I have in... Hillary Linder, director and producer, Peabody Award winning director. She's here to talk about her new project and some of her old stuff. So welcome to the show, Hillary Linder. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. No more excited than I am. Winning a Peabody Award is a pretty impressive. You know, it was it was a shock, a very happy shock to us. Um, it, yeah, it was kind of unbelievable. You're a graduate of Georgetown University, where you got your master's. So being named the filmmaker of the month right here and where you're from, how does that feel? How does that work for you? Well, it's such an honor. I've been in D.C. for about 12 years now. I grew up in North Carolina. Um, so D.C. has definitely become a home to me. And I think we 
people don't often think of DC as having this great film community, but we really do. Yes. And so being honored with Filmmaker of the Month just makes me feel like now, now I'm part of it. So. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about Indivisible. Absolutely. So Indivisible was my first film. Um, I, Like you said, I have a master's for Georgetown University in international relations and humanitarian crisis response. So I actually, before going into filmmaking, was working on the U.S. response to humanitarian crises overseas. Okay. So I was following migration crises, refugee crises in Syria, Yemen, Iraq, and I was writing a lot of reports. Hmm. And I kept thinking, gosh, if I could just show a crisis rather than write about a crisis, that might bring about change faster or better. And so I started thinking more about that and realized we have an immigration crisis right here in our backyard in the United States. Yes. And it was right around the time in 2013 that Congress was introducing comprehensive immigration reform. And I was upset how the media was covering undocumented immigrants as numbers and statistics and not humans. So right. I really wanted to show the human story there. And I had an opportunity to sit down with an immigration lawyer not too long ago, and they were telling me about how convoluted the process can be and how expensive it can be. And the word, lots of people say, you got just come in legally if they just come in legally, but they don't understand what it entails to actually obtain citizenship in the United States. Absolutely. And this is something that I always like to talk about at all our Q&As and screenings. Um, It is very hard to come to the United States with authorization, um, especially if you're escaping poverty or gangs or something. Um, For example, a lot of countries in Latin America and South America do not have a proper channel to apply for a visa, to apply for a green card. They can't come here um, on a on a visa because of their education, because they're not highly educated. They don't have family members here who are U.S. citizens who can sponsor them. They are not included in the diversity um, visa program, and they're not considered fleeing humanitarian crises. So there's really no legal pathway for them to come. However, they are escaping (laughs) poverty and just terrible things. And I think... I mean, fearing for their lives, yeah, a lot of times. And I, you know, I think... And to me, the Peabody Award will always mean the bravery and selflessness of the three dreamers in the film that shared their story, Antonio, Hanata, and Evelyn. They, um, I called them the day that our current president was elected and said, do I need to make this film disappear? Because they'd shared their stories, they're undocumented immigrants, mm-hmm. and I didn't want anything bad to happen to them. And they said, no, people need to see our stories oh. now more than ever. So when I look at that Peabody Award, I just think about how brave they are, how selfless they are, how they are sacrificing for their community. The award is dedicated to Antonio, Hanato, and Evelyn and the other undocumented immigrants in the United States. I just hope it, they know that means that there are people here that we want them to be here, we appreciate them, we value them, and we'll keep fighting. Let's talk about some other things that you're doing. I, I, this, I heard about something called Super Minority. Yes. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. So I grew up in North Carolina, and my best friend of 17 years called me, gosh, about a year ago, two years ago, and said, I'm going to run for the North Carolina House of Representatives. <laughs> and I said, great, you'll be a wonderful representative. What can I do to help? But then she started telling me about all these other first-time female candidates for the North Carolina House and how they had kind of banded together to create this support network to help each other. There are districts across the state, but they're still competing for endorsements, competing for funding. You know, they're running for different different districts, but still, um, but they go out of their way to help each other, to encourage each other, to be a sounding board, to remind each other of deadlines. And it just felt to me, 
having lived in D.C. for so long, that this was not politics as usual. Right. Politics is usually cutthroat. And here you have these women just doing anything they could to lift each other up and encourage each other to run. Mm. And that was incredible. So I thought, okay, I think there's a story there. Went down to North Carolina for three months intending to film a feature film. But we filmed with so many amazing candidates. It was just too many stories to cram into one film. So we're now doing a documentary series, hopefully about 10 episodes, highlighting a lot of these incredible stories, really for the purpose. I want women to watch it, to see how hard it is to run for office, but also to feel empowered that they can run, they can win. Maybe they don't want to be the candidate. They could be the campaign manager. They can do all these different things in the political process that I feel like women have really been overlooked. And now, if that weren't enough, I heard that there's another project that you got going on. Tell us a little bit about, uh, is it Muji Blades? Muji Blades. (laughs) So Muji Blades, I'm really, I love this project. I've been working on it for many, many years and will continue working on it for many years. Muji, um, about eight years ago now, lost both of his legs in a really terrible car accident. Today, he's one of the fastest bilateral amputee sprinters in our country. Mm. I know Muji because my husband went to high school with Muji. They played football together in Burlington, Vermont. So the connection goes way back. (laughs) I know, I know. And so reconnected with Muji a few years ago. And just his story is very inspiring. It's very raw. He's very open about his struggles on and off the field. You know, it's nothing's yeah. easy. No, especially in that situation. No, not at all. But he he's incredible. He is also a rapper. He's a CEO. <laughs> he's a, I mean, this guy can do it all. And um, it's just a really interesting look at the human spirit and how you deal with setback after setback. Well, and some really awesome running, too. So, Indivisible, we can find on Fuse TV, maybe some streaming services. Amazon and that? iTunes. Okay. What a, and Muji Blades and Super Minority. What, uh, how, how far out? Hopefully, Super Minority will come out next year because I really want pe- women to be able to watch it during the election season. Um, my website is kudzufilms.org. Kudzufilms.org to find out. Everything that Hillary Linder is doing. Thank you for coming in with us today. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for this honor. I just really, really appreciate it. And special thanks go out to Hillary Linder. Her work, Indivisible, can be found on Amazon Prime. Back to you, Tim. Oh, cool. All right, man, we get ready to go to break right now. We come back on the other side. Movies, movies, and more movies. For all the people who tell me, man, this movie's not good. There's no bad movies in November. Wink, wink. Either <laughs> way, you got it. You guys are listening to The Big Show. Keeping it real with Phil Gordon. I hate telling good people bad news. Word to God, if Big and Pac was still here, some of these weirdos wouldn't act so cavalier. We all know that the game has changed. It's crazy out here. Rap's got a bad name. Think about it. What if bling never happened and the true artists were getting rich from rapping? Word to God, some should give. Let's delete the politics so real hip-hop can live. Beef is what's up now. Careers are getting shut down. The media wants something needy. People are fucking greedy. Music and culture is like a foreign language. You'd be better off staging a fake beef in Spanglish. Compadre, can you handle the whole weight? Ideal skills, watch them swallow your whole plate. You used to support your fam off of this. Now you can't even buy spam off of this. And I don't deal with swine. I ain't Dr. Phil. I'll truly help you heal your mind. 
Nowadays, it's like everybody's losing it. Instead of them preserving this gift, they're all abusing it. It's mad drama. They want us reaching for the llamas, causing hysteria. The new hip hop criteria. And they forgot about the blood, sweat, and Welcome tears. Welcome back to the show. And of course, this week's music brought to you by the film Gordon.com Experience Film through the eyes of a true film addict. Check out all of our film content at thefilmgordon.com. There are three new movies in theaters this week. But before we begin, cue the music. Our first film this week is Honey Boy, and this is a uh, a film that made its debut at the Sundance Film Fest. I had an opportunity to see it there much earlier this year, and it's directed by Alma Hariel uh, in her narrative feature directorial debut with a screenplay by star and producer Shia LaBeouf based on his childhood and his relationship with his father. The film stars LaBeouf, Lucas Hedges, Noah Jupe, and FKA Twigs, and here is a clip from Honey Boy. One of those nines, please. No can be. Bullish. Jim. Bullish. No, you did. Jim. No, you did not. Did and you had the six. I knew it too. I knew you had it. I knew it. I saw it. I saw it on your face. Put it down. 86. I'm getting better. Learning to lie. Yeah, well, you lie for a living, poop butt. We all do. I don't. Hey. No, sir. You lie. I'm telling you, I'm a lot of things. A liar's not one of them, buddy. Why won't you hold my hand? All right. In this film, LaBeouf plays his father, who he had a very stormy relationship as he was a child actor. And um, this, this film kind of details their journey. Uh, along the way, we see and find out very early that he has a childhood that most childhood actors have, where you have a domineering parent or a parent who kind of oversees the trajectory of their career. But in this case, instead of having a loving, supportive father, the relationship is almost one of competition, where you have the father who somewhat resents the son that who is generating the money uh, and his son, his son's success is almost kind of taken in a way that he's very resentful of his son. And it creates some very awkward exchanges that occur in this film. Um, understanding the fact that LaBeouf plays his father is almost therapeutic in some ways of watching what he does. And I think it's a very emotional and powerful journey. Um, I remember being blown away by this film when I saw it initially, Charles, because, you know, I didn't know about the subject matter going in. And then you halfway through, you're like, oh, my God, man, this must be really an interesting story of a child having to see the world through his father's eyes, even in a short amount of time in making this film. But I found Honey Boy to be a very affecting and arresting drama. Um, on a grade scale, I'm somewhat torn between a C plus and probably a B, B minus. Probably would stay with a B minus on this film. I thought Honey Boy was a really good film with a great performance by Noah Jupe 
as the young Shia LaBeouf. And LaBeouf is also outstanding playing his father in his story. So Honey Boy is a film, if you get an opportunity, whether you can stream it uh, or if you can get a chance to see it in theaters, I would highly recommend it. All right, and our next film is Last Christmas, a uh, romantic comedy directed by Paul Feig and written by Bryony Kimmings and Emma Thompson, who co-wrote the story with her husband, Greg Wise. The film stars Daenerys Targaryen herself, Amelia Clark, as a cynical Christmas store worker who keeps running into an overly cheerful man, Crazy Rich Asians, uh, Henry Golding, and begins to fall for him. Thompson and Michelle Yao also star in this film. And let's listen now to a clip from Last Christmas. I really enjoyed our walk today. Ditto. Would you like to repeat the experience? Would you like to give me your number? I don't have a phone. <laughs> My God, I was just beginning to think you're not as weird as you look. Before you throw me in the bin with the rest of your battered conquests, it's not completely true. I do have a phone. It's just locked in a cupboard. Why? Oh, I got so tired of staring at my hand all day. I mean, you should try it. It's like saying you should try death. I think somebody really wants to get hold of yeah, you. Yeah, no, I know. Someone really isn't going to get the chance. <clears throat> no. <laughs> Ditch that. All of your stresses will just melt away. Oh, but I just like stress. Oi, you getting on? Yeah. Your chariot awaits. Indeed. I'll see you at the store. OK. And don't forget, look up. Oh, we'll take shut up, will you? All right, last Christmas, man, I went into this movie with some high expectations. I, Tim Gordon, or AKA Film Gordon, are a sucker for the British rom-coms. Everything from Love Actually, Four Weddings and a Funeral, um, the Julia Roberts film, um, Charles, help me with this one, uh, Notting Hill. Love all these British uh, kind of romantic comedies. And this one, I had all my expectations. Not so much. <laughs> and this story, as I told you before, uh, Amelia Clark, who we've seen ride dragons for years on HBO's Game of Thrones, is now uh, a baby elf who is working at a store. And she's dressed like an elf the whole movie. And her boss, Michelle Yao, sees some potential in her, uh, but she just keeps messing up. Has no place to live, won't live at home, bouncing around from one sofa to the next. But there's this guy that shows up, and he keeps showing up. And slowly but surely, she falls for him, but there's a twist. And I'm going to leave it at that. Um, I found this film to be middling to not interesting. Uh, there was so much they could have done with this film, and this is probably the first of all these kind of British rom-coms that really has let me down. And it's like, Paul Feig, I mean, let's be real, man. Just look at what was done in a film like Love Actually, where they had an ensemble of characters. Emma Thompson was in that one fantastic film. It gave you the holiday feeling. It gave you a feeling of romance and love. This film gives you a feeling, but it ain't romance and love. Just think the opposite. <laughs> last Christmas, hopefully it's the last time we have to talk about last Christmas. Um, next month, when we start talking about Christmas films, you should see 
Love actually is one. And there's another film that has Christmas in the title, but substitute last for this. And now we are in the, in the proper place. Last Christmas is a disappointment to the highest order. Giving this movie a D. Not a D for dumb, but disappointment. Disdain. Y'all are better than this. Everybody in this film. Now, you know, the other part before I leave, which I think is the frustrating part, is that the film creates a wonderful potential romance between Clark and Golding, which is never consummated. And but the, the reason why it's never consummated is see my earlier statement, there's a twist. <laughs> so when you watch the film, you'll understand what I'm saying. Uh, but don't watch this film. This is not worth your time. You can find some other stuff to do or just go back and watch a film that from last week or you can just save your money for a better film. That'll be coming up a little later on. So that is, uh, I'm sorry to be crushing you last Christmas, but you're being crushed. Which brings us to this week's big movie. This week's big movie is Midway. This is a war film based on the story of the attack of Pearl Harbor and the subsequent Battle of Midway during World War II. Directed by Roland Emmerich. Directed by Roland Emmerich. There's a reason I said that twice. You'll find out momentarily. Uh, also produced by Harlan Clauser and written by Wes Tukey. Wes Tukey. Again, emphasis. Uh, this film features an ensemble cast, <laughs> including Ed Scrine, Patrick Wilson, Luke Evans, Aaron Eckhart, Nick Jonas, Mandy Moore, Dennis Quaid, and Woody Harrelson. Roland Emmerich, Wes Tukey. Here is a clip from Midway. Hey. Hey. Hi. I got us a table. Wade, have you met Anne? Wade McCluskey. I fly with your husband. Hey, uh, you want a drink? I do, if you want me to dance. Thank you. You're welcome. How long have you been married? Long enough to know my husband's talents. Why isn't he commanding a squadron? Well, I don't make those decisions. Team White Yes, sir. I understand before the war when it was about politics, but now? I told you she was a firecracker. <laughs> I have to say, I often wondered what kind of woman would marry Dick Best. And, uh, well, you have not disappointed. All right. There was a reason why. I emphasized a couple of names because what I emphasized was the director and the writer of a film that shows starts off with great promise, right? This film starts off uh, showing a group of uh, naval airmen aboard the ship who are pilots, and it tells the story of the United States' non-involvement in World War II, right? Japan has bombed China. Germany is on the move trying to assert its, uh, its themes of Nazism throughout the globe. U.S. is on the sidelines until December the 7th, 1941, when Japan bombs Pearl Harbor. And then subsequently, 
uh, the United States uh, create the Midway campaign to strike back at Japan. Now, if we had this film with an auteur that, such as a, a Steven Spielberg, who's done films like Saving Private Ryan, or um, uh, Christopher Nolan, who did Dunkirk, I would have felt much better about the story. Roland Emmerich did The Day After Tomorrow, Independence Day. I'm not really trusting Roland Emmerich to tell the war story. He did Pearl Harbor. Remember that? That great film, Pearl Harbor. This is the same guy. Having said that, this film features some, and I talked about Wes Tukey at the beginning. This film features some of the corniest dialogue. People that were sitting in a row next to me, there was a couple behind me that literally like, oh my God. <laughs> no, he didn't. Yes, he did. This film, for all the great casting, because at the end of the film, you see that these are all real individuals that the film, that the, the actors portray. But as I tell you guys every week, in real estate, it's location, location, location. In movies, it's screenplay, screenplay, screenplay. You can have the best ensemble. You can have the, the, the most decorated actors. You can have Oscar winners. It does not matter if you have a bad screenplay, you have a bad movie. Midway is a bad movie. It is a movie that, that it, I'm a little upset because it had the potential to be a really good movie had it been better written and better directed by people who probably not are just fans of the material, but people who can execute said material. And that is not the case for Wes Tukey, the writer, who I don't even know if that's a real guy, if that's like a pseudonym for somebody else, and Roland Emmerich. This film is a major disappointment as well. A D for Midway, which stands for a disservice to the men and women who fought in these battles who have to have this film as a part of their cinematic legacy, not good at all. This is a film you can skip as well. We are in the middle of award season. People remember, there are movies. They will make more. <laughs> there are more movies coming down the pike. Sit out midway. All right? That's all I got for this week. I really wanted to pound home the fact that this is not a good movie. Um, but on behalf of our producer, Sugar Shane Mosley, and our associate producer and the most selfish man in radio, Charles Kirkland, I am Tim Gordon. And until next week, I'm out. You guys enjoy your weekend. Yeah, let's talk about
Look at me crazy, cause I ain't invite you. Oh, you important, you the moral to the story. You endorsing what the 